0: Part 2. Chapter 8. Section 89. Of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss. Translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 2. History of the Public Life of Jesus. Chapter 8. Events in the Public Life of Jesus Exclusive of the Miracles. Section 89. Narratives of the Anointing of Jesus by a Woman an occasion on which Jesus was anointed by a woman as he sat at meat is mentioned by all the evangelists Matthew chapter 26 verse 6 and following Mark chapter 14 verse 3 and following Luke chapter 7 verse 36 and following John chapter 12 verse 1 and following But with some divergencies the most important of which lie between Luke and the other three first as to the chronology luke places the incident in the earlier period of the life of jesus before his departure from galilee while the other three assign it to the last week of his life secondly as to the character of the woman who anoints jesus she is according to luke a woman who was a sinner according to the two other synoptists a person of unsullied reputation according to john who is more precise mary of bethany from the second point of difference it follows that in luke the objection of the spectators turns on the admission of so infamous a person in the other gospels on the wastefulness of the woman from both it follows that jesus in his defense dwells in the former on the grateful love of the woman as contrasted with the haughty indifference of the pharisees in the latter on his approaching departure in opposition to the constant presence of the poor there are yet the minor occurrences that the place in which the entertainment and the anointing occur is by the two first and the fourth evangelists called bethany which according to john chapter eleven verse one was a town by luke city without any more precise designation further that the objection according to the three former proceeds from the disciples according to luke from the entertainer hence the majority of commentators distinguish two anointings of which one is narrated by luke the other by the three remaining evangelists but it must be asked If the reconciliation of Luke with the three other evangelists is despaired of, whether the agreement of the latter amongst themselves is so decided, and whether we must not rather proceed from the distinction of two anointings to the distinction of three, or even four, to four certainly it will scarcely extend, for Mark does not depart from Matthew, except in a few touches of his well-known dramatic manner but between these two evangelists on the one side and john on the other there are differences which may fairly be compared with those between luke and the rest the first difference relates to the house in which the entertainment is said to have been given according to the two first evangelists it was the house of simon the leper a person elsewhere unnoticed the fourth does not it is true expressly named the host. But since he mentions Martha as the person who waited on the guests, and her brother Lazarus as one of those who sat at meat, there is no doubt that he intended to indicate the house of the latter as the locality of the repast. Neither is the time of the occurrence precisely the same, for according to Matthew and Mark, the scene takes place after the solemn entrance of jesus into jerusalem only two days at the utmost before the passover according to john on the other hand before the entrance as early as six days prior to the passover further the individual whom john states to be that mary of bethany so intimately united to jesus is only known to the two first evangelists as a woman neither do they represent her as being like mary in the house and one of the host's family but as coming one knows not whence to jesus while he reclined at table moreover the act of anointing is in the fourth gospel another than in the two first in the latter the woman pours her ointment of spikenard on the head of jesus in john on the contrary She anoints his feet and dries them with her hair, a difference which gives the whole scene a new character. Lastly, the two synoptists are not aware that it was Judas who gave utterance to the censure against the woman, Matthew attributing it to the disciples, Mark to the spectators generally. Thus, between the narrative of John and that of Matthew and Mark, there is scarcely less difference than between the account of these three collectively and that of luke whoever supposes two distinct occurrences in the one case must to be consistent do so in the other and thus with origin hold at least conditionally that there were three separate anointings so soon however as this consequence is more closely examined it must create a difficulty for how improbable is it that jesus should have been expensively anointed three times each time at a feast each time by a woman that woman being always a different one that moreover jesus should in each instance have had to defend the act of the woman against the censures of the spectators above all how is it to be conceived that after jesus on one and even on two earlier occasions had so decidedly given his sanction to the honour rendered to him the disciples or one of them should have persisted in censuring it these considerations oblige us to think of reductions and it is the most natural to commence with the narratives of the two first synoptists and of john for these agree not only in place Bethany but also, generally, in the time of the event, the last week of the life of Jesus. Above all, the censure and the reply are nearly the same on both sides. In connection with these similarities, the differences lose their importance, partly from the improbability that an incident of this kind should be repeated, partly from the probability that in the traditional propagation of the anecdote such divergencies should have insinuated themselves but if in this case the identity of the occurrences be admitted in consideration of the similarities and in spite of the dissimilarities then on the other hand the divergencies peculiar to the narrative of luke can no longer hinder us from pronouncing it to be identical with that of the three other evangelists provided that there appear to be only a few important points of resemblance between the two. And such really exist. For Luke now strikingly accords with Matthew and Mark, in opposition to John. Now, with the latter, in opposition to the former. Luke gives the entertainer the same name as the two first synoptists, namely Simon, the only difference being that the former calls him a Pharisee while the latter style him the leper again luke agrees with the other synoptists in opposition to john in representing the woman who anoints jesus as a nameless individual not belonging to the house and further in making her appear with a box of ointment while john speaks only of a pound of ointment without specifying the vessel on the other hand Luke coincides in a remarkable manner with John and differs from the two other evangelists as to the mode of the anointing. While, namely, according to the latter, the ointment is poured on the head of Jesus, according to Luke, the woman who was a sinner, as according to John, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus, and even the striking particular, that she dried them with her hair is given by both in nearly the same words, excepting that in Luke, where the woman is described as a sinner, it is added that she bathed the feet of Jesus with her tears and kissed them. Thus, without doubt, we have here but one history under three various forms. And this seems to have been the real conclusion of Origen, as well as recently of Schleiermacher in this state of the case the effort is to escape as cheaply as possible and to save the divergencies of the several evangelists at least from the appearance of contradiction first with regard to the differences between the two first evangelists and the last it has been attempted to reconcile the discrepant dates by the supposition that the meal at bethany was held really as john informs us six days before easter but that matthew after whom mark wrote has no contradictory date that rather he has no date at all for though he inserts the narrative of the meal and the anointing after the declaration of jesus that after two days is the feast of the passover this does not prove that he intended to place it later as to time for it is probable that he gave it this position simply because he wished to note here before coming to the betrayal by judas the occasion on which the traitor first embraced his black resolve namely the repast at which he was incensed by mary's prodigality and embittered by the rebuke of jesus but in opposition to this modern criticism has shown that on the one hand in the mild and altogether general reply of jesus There could lie nothing personally offensive to judas and that on the other hand the two first gospels do not name judas as the party who censured the anointing but the disciples or the bystanders generally whereas if they had noted this scene purely because it was the motive for the treachery of judas they must have especially pointed out the manifestation of his feeling there remains consequently a chronological contradiction in this instance between the two first synoptists and john a contradiction which even olshausen admits it has been attempted in a variety of ways to evade the farther difference as to the person of the host as matthew and mark speak only of the house of simon the leper some have distinguished the owner of the house simon from the giver of the entertainment who doubtless was lazarus and have supposed that hence in both cases without error the fourth evangelist mentions the latter the two first synoptists the former but who would distinguish an entertainment by the name of the householder if he were not in any way the giver of the entertainment again since john does not expressly call lazarus the host but merely one of those sitting at the table, and since the inference that he was the host is drawn solely from the circumstance that his sister Martha served, others have regarded Simon as the husband of Martha, either separated on account of his leprosy, or already deceased, and have supposed that Lazarus then resided with his widowed sister, an hypothesis which it is more easy to reconcile with the narratives than the former, but which is unsupported by any certain information. We come next to the divergency relative to the mode of anointing. According to the two first evangelists, the ointment was poured on the head of Jesus, according to the fourth, on his feet. The old trivial mode of harmonizing the two statements, by supposing that both the head and the feet were anointed, has recently been expanded into the conjecture that Mary indeed intended only to anoint the feet of Jesus, John, but as she accidentally broke the vessel, Mark, the ointment flowed over his head also, Matthew. This attempt at reconciling falls into the comic, For as we cannot imagine how a woman who was preparing to anoint the feet of Jesus could bring the vessel of ointment over his head, we must suppose that the ointment spirited upwards like an effervescing draught. So that here also the contradiction remains, and not only between Matthew and John, where it is admitted even by Schneckenberger, but also between the latter evangelist and Mark the two divergencies relative to the person of the woman who anoints jesus and to the party who blames her were thought to be the most readily explained that what john ascribes to judas singly matthew and mark refer to all the disciples or spectators was believed to be simply accounted for by the supposition that while the rest manifested their disapprobation by gestures only judas vented his in words we grant that the words they said preceded as it is in mark by the words having indignation within themselves and followed as in matthew by the words but jesus knowing does not necessarily imply that all the disciples gave audible expressions to their feelings as however the two first evangelists immediately after this meal narrate the betrayal by judas they would certainly have named the traitor on the above occasion had he to their knowledge made himself conspicuous in connection with the covetous blame which the woman's liberality drew forth that john particularizes the woman whose name is not given by the synoptists as mary of bethany is in the ordinary view, only an example how the fourth evangelist supplies the omissions of his predecessors. But as the two first synoptists attach so much importance to the deed of the woman that they make Jesus predict the perpetuation of her memory on account of it, a particular which John has not, they would assuredly have also given her name had they known it so that in any case we may conclude thus much they knew not who the woman was still less did they conceive her to be mary of bethany thus if the identity only of the last evangelist's narrative with that of the two first be acknowledged it must be confessed that we have on the one side or the other an account which is inaccurate and disfigured by tradition it is however not only between these but also between luke and his fellow evangelists collectively that they who suppose only one incident to be the foundation of their narratives seek to remove as far as possible the appearance of contradiction schleiermacher whose highest authority is john but who will on no account renounce luke comes in this instance when the two so widely diverge into a peculiar dilemma from which he must have thought that he could extricate himself with singular dexterity since he has not evaded it as he does others of a similar kind by the supposition of two fundamental occurrences it is true that he finds himself constrained to concede in favour of john that luke's informant could not in this case have been an eyewitness Whence minor divergencies, as for instance those relative to the locality, are to be explained. On the other hand, the apparently important differences that, according to Luke, the woman is a sinner, according to John, Mary of Bethany, that according to the former the host, according to the latter the disciples, make objections and that the reply of jesus is in the respective narrations totally different these in schleiermacher's opinion have their foundation in the fact that the occurrence may be regarded from two points of view the one aspect of the occurrence is the murmuring of the disciples and this is given by matthew the other namely the relations of jesus with the pharisaic host is exhibited by luke and John confirms both representations. The most decided impediment to the reconciliation of Luke with the other evangelists, his designation of the woman as a sinner, Schleiermacher invalidates, by calling it a false inference of the narrator from the address of Jesus to Mary, Thy sins are forgiven thee this jesus might say to mary in allusion to some error unknown to us but such as the purest are liable to without compromising her reputation with the spectators who were well acquainted with her character and it was only the narrator who erroneously concluded from the above words of jesus and from his further discourse that the woman concerned was a sinner in the ordinary sense of the word whence he has incorrectly amplified the thoughts of the host. Verse 39. It is not, however, simply of sins, but of many sins, that Jesus speaks in relation to the woman. And if this also be an addition of the narrator, to be rejected as such because it is inconsistent with the character of Mary of Bethany, then has the entire speech of Jesus, from verses 40 through 48, which turns on the opposition between forgiving and loving little and much, been falsified or misrepresented by the evangelist, and on the side of Luke especially, it is in vain to attempt to harmonize the discordant narratives. If, then, the four narratives can be reconciled only by the supposition that several of them have undergone important traditional modifications, the question is, which of them is the nearest to the original fact? That modern critics should unanimously decide in favor of John cannot surprise us after our previous observations, and as little can the nature of the reasoning by which their judgment is supported. The narrative of John, say they, reasoning in a circle, being that of an eyewitness must be at once supposed the true one, and this conclusion is sometimes rested for greater security on the false premise that the more circumstantial and dramatic narrator is the more accurate reporter the eyewitness the breaking of the box of ointment in mark although a dramatic particular is readily rejected as a mere embellishment but does not john's statement of the quantity of spikenard as a pound border on exaggeration and ought not the extravagance which olshausen, in relation to this disproportionate consumption of ointment, attributes to Mary's love to be rather referred to the evangelist's imagination, which would then also have the entire credit of the circumstance that the house was filled with the odour of the ointment. It is worthy of notice that the estimate of the value of the perfume at three hundred denarii, is given by John and Mark alone, as also at the miraculous feeding of the multitude. It is these two evangelists who rate the necessary food at two hundred denarii. If Mark only had this close estimate, how quickly would it be pronounced, at least by Schleiermacher, a gratuitous addition of the narrator? What, then, is it that In the actual state of the case prevents the utterance of this opinion even as a conjecture but the prejudice in favor of the fourth gospel even the anointing of the head which is attested by two of the synoptists is because john mentions the feet instead of the head rejected as unusual and incompatible with the position of jesus at a meal whereas the anointing of the feet with precious oil was far less usual and this the most recent commentator on the fourth gospel admits but peculiar gratitude is rendered to the eyewitness john because he has rescued from oblivion the names both of the anointing woman and of the centurious disciple it has been supposed that the synoptists did in fact know the name of the woman but withheld it from the apprehension that danger might possibly accrue to the family of Lazarus, while John, writing later, was under no such restraint. But this expedient rests on mere assumptions. Our former conclusion, therefore, subsists, namely, that the earlier evangelists knew nothing of the name of the woman, and the question arises, how was this possible? jesus having expressly promised immortal renown to the deed of the woman the tendency must arise to perpetuate her name also and if this were identical with the known and oft-repeated name of mary of bethany it is not easy to understand how the association of the deed and the name could be lost in tradition and the woman who anointed jesus become nameless it is perhaps still more incomprehensible supposing the covetous blame cast upon the woman to have been really uttered by him who proved the betrayer that this should be forgotten in tradition and the expression of blame attributed to the disciples generally when a fact is narrated of a person otherwise unknown or even when the person being known The fact does not obviously accord with his general character, it is natural that the name should be lost in tradition. But when the narrated word or work of a person agrees so entirely with his known character, as does the covetous and hypocritical blame in question with the character of the traitor, it is difficult to suppose that the legend would sever it from his name. Moreover, the history in which this blame occurs verges so nearly on the moment of the betrayal, especially according to the position given it by the two first evangelists, that, had the blame really proceeded from Judas, the two facts would have been almost inevitably associated. Nay, even if that expression of latent cupidity had not really belonged to Judas, there must have been a temptation, eventually, to ascribe it to him, as a help to the delineation of his character and to the explanation of his subsequent treachery thus the case is reversed and the question is whether instead of praising john that he has preserved to us this precise information we ought not rather to give our approbation to the synoptists that they have abstained from so natural but unhistorical a combination we can arrive at no other conclusion with respect to the designation of the woman who anoints jesus as mary of bethany on the one hand it is inconceivable that the deed if originally hers should be separated from her celebrated name on the other the legend in the course of its development might naturally come to attribute to one whose spiritual relations with jesus had according to the third and fourth gospels early obtained great celebrity in the primitive church an act of devoted love towards him which originally belonged to another and less known person but from another side also we find ourselves induced to regard the narratives of matthew and mark who give no name to the woman rather than that of john who distinguishes her as mary of bethany as the parent stem of the group of anecdotes before us our position of the identity of all the four narratives must to be tenable enable us also to explain how luke's representation of the facts could arise now supposing the narrative of john to be nearest to the truth it is not a little surprising that in the legend the anointing woman should doubly descend from the highly honored Mary, sister of Lazarus, to an unknown nameless individual, and thence even to a notorious sinner. It appears far more natural to give the intermediate position to the indifferent statement of the synoptists, out of whose equivocal nameless woman might equally be made, either in an ascending scale, a Mary, or in a descending one a sinner the possibility of the first transformation has already been shown it must next be asked where could be an inducement without historical grounds gradually to invest the anointing woman with the character of a sinner in the narrative itself our only clue is a feature which the two first synoptists have not but which john has in common with luke namely that the woman anointed the feet of jesus to the fourth evangelist this tribute of feeling appeared in accordance with the sensitive devoted nature of mary whom he elsewhere also represents as falling at the feet of jesus but by another it might be taken as by luke for the gesture of contrition an idea which might favor the conception of the woman as a sinner might favor we say not cause for a cause we must search elsewhere end of section 89